Well, how y'all doing tonight? You doing well? It's just like you, you feel good to me. It feels like you're awake, ready to go. What a beautiful day we've had. I was up uh, hiking Rocky Peak Trail this morning. I've done that for a while. I've been so sick, but getting ready for Israel in a couple months, so getting in shape for that. It was a beautiful day up there, and I uh, hope you've had a great day. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside of your uh, program is a message note sheet. It's green and white. We use it every week for our time of teaching, so I encourage you to uh, take that out. And then if you guys are all set, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church. It's just exciting times, God. Uh, You are waking us up. You're calling us on. You're reminding us of this assignment we have as a church to share the message of Jesus with those who don't know you, and not just to share, but to be transformed in our lives so that week by week and month by month, we become slowly a little bit more like you, that we live the life you've called us to live, this life you said, I've come to give you life more abundantly. And today, Lord, as we, we look at a, a passage, we look at a topic that's very counterintuitive in many ways, uh, we pray you'd come by the power of your spirit, open our eyes to see spiritual reality that we might thrive. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now since the beginning of the year, uh, Jesus the Crucified King. For those of you who are, are regulars here, you kind of know this, but I always like to start at the top and just take a minute or two and orient those of you who are joining us for the very first time. So this is a, this is a series uh, on the life and teaching of Jesus. It's actually the third series in a trilogy of series that we've been in for almost a year and a half, a uh, year and a quarter, I guess, on the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early church. His, his name is Mark. He's a close personal friend of the apostle Peter. And so he writes this account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on Peter's firsthand experiences with uh, Jesus. And so we've watched in this current series We've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. His men don't realize that. But, uh, his, uh, but he comes into Jerusalem the last week of his life. Uh, he's begun to reveal his true identity as the great king of Israel, the Messiah, in some new and very provocative ways. Uh, but that's leading to increased conflict with some of the religious and political leaders who see him as a threat to their authority. And so uh, last week, it kind of led to a, a head. As, as last week, Jesus went on the offensive, and he begins to call out these spiritual leaders. He calls them hypocrites six times. He calls them uh, blind guides five times. He calls them snakes. He calls them vipers. And, and he really uh, kind of attacks them and says, you know what? Uh, you're not really seeking the best for the people. You're all about pride. You're, you're about big egos. You're about hypocrisy. You're about greed, right? So, so that's last week, right? So we're still there. We're still, it's like Wednesday or Thursday, and now Mark is going to insert this next event that happens where we're going to meet a woman who's the exact opposite of the religious leaders. Where they're proud, she's humble. Where they're greedy, she's generous. Where they're hypocrisies, she's sincere. Where they're hypocrites, she's sincere. And so Mark's going to insert this, this example of this amazing woman that's what we would call here at Rocky Peak a great example of a passionate Christ follower. And so it's going to take place on the temple grounds. And so there, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark chapter 12 and uh, pick it up at verse 41. Again, we're just looking at three or four verses. On your note sheet, there's a section called, A Single Woman, A Model to Follow. Mark uh, chapter 12 and verse uh, 41. So let's set the stage. Uh, Remember, Jesus is still in the temple courts, 
huge, right? Massive, 35 acres. It's got the square footage of 12 football fields. Uh, Covered colonnades, huge pillars. According to Josephus, it takes three men uh, with their full full stretch, arms outstretched, three men to go around one pillar. Uh, Massive. Jesus has been coming in every morning. He teaches all day at the temple. Religious leaders have come, tried to trip him up, answer their questions. Every night, he goes out to the east side of the, uh, the eastern gates of the, the city of Jerusalem, up the Mount of Olives to, to the town of Bethany, two miles away, where he spends, spends the night with his disciples. So he's back in the temple, right? And so last time we saw him, he's coming on to the religious leaders. Now today, he and his men are kicking back, and there are people watching, all right? It's like a mall. Remember, remember, it's Passover week. It's like Wednesday or Thursday. Within 24 to 48 hours, he's going to be arrested, beaten, and executed. So he's sitting in the temple. It's Passover time. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are cramming the city. So a lot of these people, they're coming to the temple. And so there's people from all over the world coming to worship God. Right? And a lot of them are bringing their offerings. Remember that the temple was not like a church. Like when we come to church here, we all come inside, right? Well, some of you don't, but uh, most of you, we all come inside, right? And so we, we worship together and we pray together and we have some announcements and then we, uh, we do some teaching, we do some more worship and we might have a video. We're all here together. We all come in. That's not how the temple works. The temple is this huge building. We'll talk about it more next week. The temple is a huge building that sits in the middle or one end of this 35-acre complex. The 35-acre complex is surrounded by stone walls. It's a military fortress. When you come into the temple courtyards, you come up the huge steps that are still there today, by the way. You come up the kind of Solomon steps, you come up there, you come into the temple. The first courtyard, huge courtyard, is called the Court of the Gentiles. The reason it's called that is because anyone could go there, even Gentiles. But as you move closer to the temple itself, it's going to get more and more restrictive. So the next court you come through, you pass through some, there's a warning sign on the walls. Any Gentile past this point will be killed. And it was enforced by the Roman government. There was a huge dividing wall there. You could not, if you're, you, you have to be a Jew. The next, you go through the next gates, you come into the next big courtyard. It's called the courtyard of the women. And the reason is, is because any Jew could go here, man, woman, or child. But if you're a woman, this is as close as you get to the temple. After that's going to come another courtyard where men could go. And after that is the temple where only priests can go. And once you go inside the temple is the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest can go once a year. You see what's going on here? As you approach the temple, you're coming closer and closer to God. And so there are rules about this. And so, um, so you don't go to, when you go to temple, you don't go inside the building. You go to the temple courtyards. You pray there. You do, one of the things you do is you give your offering. Now, in the court of the women, there were 13 silver offering receptacles. We know this from the Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah. Uh, they were made of silver, and they were shaped like a ram's horn. 
you know, which is kind of curved around like this. You uh, the ram's horn is called a shofar. And so these offering uh, receptacles were curved like a shofar. They were turned upside down so the big end was down, small end up, like where you'd blow. And these 13 receptacles is where you would put different kinds of offerings to support the, the ministry of Israel. You'd support the temple, the priests, the Levites, and so on. None of these were for the poor. That was in a different place. So as you'd come in, you'd drop your coins. Now remember, you don't have bill folds. You don't have currency. You don't use checks. There's no credit cards. There's no kiosks to swipe your card. You bring in your gold, your silver, or your copper, and you drop them in these holes. Now, there's small holes at the top, so you can't reach in and steal. Right? So you're going to drop it in, clink, 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 clink. The place is packed. It's Passover. You've got hundreds and thousands of people coming in. People are coming in, dropping their offering, all right? Now, Jesus and his men are sitting over kind of next to the, uh, kind of the, you know, the Starbucks or whatever's there. And there are people watching. I think this is hilarious. I don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of people watching. They're just kind of watching people come and drop in their money. And, and I'm sure that, you know, that there's so many people, well, we're told this. These people are, are rich, wealthy, God's blessed, and they're dropping in lots of coins. And I'm sure Jesus' men are highly impressed. They're, they're not really super wealthy guys, right? And they're just probably, these guys are dropping lots of money. Uh, and they're just kind of kicking back watching this. And then all of a sudden, something happens that just turns Jesus' crank. I mean, he's just like, he is like, whoa. Did you see? The, guys, guys, come here. Come here. Come here. Let's see what happens. So verse 41, Jesus sat down um, opposite the place where the offerings were put. So now we know that, right? It's the court of the women, 13 silver shofars are sitting there just kind of watching. Uh, and he watches the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. It's just a slow day. Hey, let's just watch. Let's, let's go watch some people drop some coin. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, you get the drinks, right? Okay, we'll get there. I'll get the chips. All right, so, uh, so many rich people threw in large amounts. And so... Uh, these many wealthy people are coming and they're doing what God said. God blessed them. And he said, you know, when God bless you, give proportionally. And so they're giving large amounts, right? So, so then this poor widow comes. Now, let me set this up. We, we don't know anything about this widow except she's single and she's poor. I want to highlight what we don't know. We don't know how old she is. If you're a longtime believer, chances are when you read this, you read this as an elderly lady. There's nothing in the text about being an elderly lady. For all we know, she was 20 years old and lost her husband young in a, uh, a donkey accident. <laughs> right? Kind of a collision right there in Jerusalem. Boom, never saw him coming, got kicked in the head. You know, uh, So we, we don't really know. I mean, she could be 20. She could be... 32, she could be 45, she could be eight, we don't know. We, we also don't know if she has any kids or not. You know, she's single, she's a widow, we, we don't know if she has any kids, we don't know uh, if she's got family in the area. We don't know if she's local or she's on pilgrimage and has come from a long way to get there. We don't know how she supports herself financially. We don't know if she has a way to make money or she's dependent on others, the generosity of uh, alms to the poor. We don't, there's a lot we don't know. 
But she comes up, and they're just kind of watching people dropping these big amounts. A widow comes, and she puts in two very small copper coins. These are the smallest coins of their day. They would be at most maybe a couple bucks, few bucks in our, in our currency. They call it a penny, but I don't know why. Uh, anyway, uh, she, and so, so she drops this coin. This is worth a fraction of a penny. That's not really right. It's not like a fraction of our penny. Maybe it's a fraction of their penny. I don't know. But uh, it's a small amount. And, and so she said, she's, so the guys are just watching this, right? Now picture this. They're probably pretty wowed by these large amounts that are going. Did you just see that guy drop in? That was huge. That's, unbelievable. That's more than I make in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever work harder. Uh, anyway, so this is just kind of going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus stopped the presses. This poor lady comes up and drops in a couple bucks. He's like, oh, stop the presses. And he calls his disciples to himself. Guys, come here. Did you see that? Amazing. He says, I tell you the truth. And remember, I'm always telling you, whenever Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth, sit up. In the Greek, it's amen. Amen. Something big's about to come down. He said, I tell you the truth. That poor widow, she's just put more into the treasury than all the others. I'm sure they're like, uh, come again? Uh, did you see how much they gave? Uh, Israel was a place where uh, people often made a big deal about how much they gave. Do you remember what in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, hey, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing? So don't be like the hypocrites who stand the, the corners and pray really loud prayers to be seen. It was a very, uh, very kind of image-conscious culture. And they've been watching their, these people, it's like, one gold, two gold, three gold, four gold, silver denarius worth a day's work, silver denarius, silver denarius, silver, and they're clang, 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 clang. And this lady comes up, drops two coins, she says she gave more than everyone else. And he said, I tell you, this poor one has put more in the treasury than all the others. And I'm sure it was shocking to them when he said that. And he says, here's why. They gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The God measures differently than we do. We'll come back to that later. It's a tremendous step of faith on her part. She put her last money in, in the till. All right, now, from this passage today, uh, what I want to do is, um, is I want to highlight three principles for us as followers of Jesus that are extremely important about this whole topic of generosity. And uh, there in your note sheets, a section called Generosity 101, three key concepts. And so let's jump in. Here we go. Number one, and we're going to come back then. I mean, three, three principles and then come back one question. Uh, so here we go. Three, number one. Uh, First one is generosity uh, is a priority. Uh, For Jesus, you study his life, you study his teaching, that he was big on this. For for him, um, financial generosity towards God, his kingdom, the poor, big deal. But what I want you to catch here uh, that you may have missed, it's easy to miss, 
is what day, the be, our best guess is what day is this? What, what have I said, like two times, see if anyone's paying attention. Yeah, it's Wednesday or Thursday, right? Good job. Uh, so yeah, within 24 to 48 hours, he's gonna be arrested, beaten, and executed. Here's what I want you to catch. Knowing that that's coming, Jesus is still in teaching mode. And it's so interesting what he's teaching about. It's like, like for the last three years, he's taught his guys about trusting God with their money, about being generous to his kingdom, lay not up treasures on earth, lay them up in, uh, and store them up in, in heaven. Right? He's just, he's, for three years, he's talked about this topic a lot. But here he is within 24 to 40 hours of being arrested. And what I would expect me talking about is his death, about his resurrection, about maybe the atonement, about his substitution, his life for our life, maybe ransom for sins, something like that. And Jesus just comes out of his seat when he sees this woman who's like a perfect model of what he's been telling his men for three years in this important area of their life. And so on the, on the eve or the last day of his life, Jesus is saying, guys, did you see that? Here's what I want you to catch. For Jesus, this issue of financial generosity is not a peripheral one. It's a core one. He talked about it all the time. Uh, in fact, one of the things he said was that Jesus, he said that, that the way we handle our finances as followers of Jesus. Now, let me be clear. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then I'm really glad you're here. And I just want to welcome you. Just listen in. Listen, because we're going to talk about what Jesus followers do, right? But I want to talk specifically to those you identify. I, I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? What, what Jesus said is that money is a test. And it's a test about whether we're serious about following him or not. And so here's what I want to do. There in your note sheet, one of my favorite Jesus passages on this topic. Uh, Luke chapter 16. Here's what Jesus says. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with what? With much. Okay, so that's a principle. Like, like with your kids or employees at work or anyone else, you know, especially if you're dealing with finances, but just in general. Like, if you can trust someone with, a, with something small, then it makes sense to, like, to test them out and trust them with something big. But if you can't trust them with something small, you would be a fool to trust them with something big. They've already shown their character in the small thing, right? So this is what he's saying. So whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. That's just kind of a, a general principle of life. He says, and so on the opposite side, whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Like it'd be lame for you to say, hey, this employee, I know they're kind of, kind of ripping me off a little bit in their area, so I want to give them more responsibility. Maybe they'll do better with more. Like that'd just be lame. Right? He says, so... He says, so, um, so now he's going to apply the principle. Okay, if you're faithful a little, you're faithful much. If you're not faithful a little, you're not faithful much. That's just a general life principle. He says, now, let's apply it to finances. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling what? <laughs> Worldly wealth. So he just means your finances, the finances of this world. He said, if you haven't been trustworthy, then who will trust you with what? True riches. Now, Jesus doesn't define what he means by true riches, but just if you look at the teaching of Jesus, I would assume he's talking about things like our life with God. 
It's our, our spiritual life, uh, our spiritual gift, our effectiveness, our influence with others. Uh, rewards this life and the next life. Uh, blessing us financially. All this would kind of come under uh, true riches, right? And so he says, um, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who would trust you in handling the more important things of life? And if you have not been trustworthy with, what's he say? Someone else's property. Now, catch this. This is really important. What Jesus is reflecting here is a biblical perspective on our stuff. In Psalm 24, 1, it's not in your note sheet, but if you want to write it down for later. Psalm 24, 1, uh, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So a biblical perspective is God made all this stuff. Like he made it. He made matter, right? And so it all really belongs to him. Like, like you don't really own your house. You're using it right now. When you die, it will go to someone else, right? Um, you don't really own your car. Um, uh, the bank owns your, no, anyway. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? That um, like we think we own our stuff, but we really don't. And, and it really, it's, it's God's. Like everything that we can see is either something he created or he created the, the raw materials and gave us the wisdom to make. So, so the biblical perspective is everything belongs to God. And so we're the managers of his stuff. Now the biblical word for manager is steward. So we talk about something stewardship. That's just sort of an ancient word, but the concept is a man. We, it, it, so, so here's what Jesus is saying. He says, uh, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, he's talking about our financial resources, the stuff that he's entrusted to us. If, if you've not been trustworthy with that, then who will give you property of your own? Again, it's kind of the true riches. And then he sub, kind of sums it up. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Like in the end, push comes to shove, someone's got to be top dog. He said, either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You just, you cannot serve God in money. Now, I want you to underline that last thing. You cannot. It is impossible. You may think you can, but Jesus, you can't. Like, push comes to shove, you cannot serve God in money. So, so what Jesus is saying and teaching is that if we're serious about following Jesus, one of the most important areas of our life of surrendering to him is our stuff, our, our finances. And it's just kind of a fundamental decision that you have to make. Does your stuff belong to you to do with as you wish? Or does it belong to God to do with as he directs? It's a fundamental decision you have to make. A fundamental decision that you have to make is I serve God or I serve money. And just so this, this, is just a, this is just a gateway that every Christ follower should go through at some point. We've got to make that decision. All right, so, so what I want you to catch is that uh, Jesus says money is a test. And so the way I've often put it here, those of you who've been with us for a few years have heard me say this, but really one of the best ways to measure whether we're serious about following Jesus is by checking two places. We check our calendar and we check our checkbook. And the reason is because two of the most important things in life in terms of our resources are time and money. So if you want to see, you know, if we say, hey, seek first the kingdom, like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Well, is that reflected in your calendar? Can I see you seeking first the kingdom? 
right? Are, are you spending time with God? Are you, are you pursuing growing with his people? Are you using your gifts? Like, does your calendar reflect that value? And the other place is our checkbook. Because our checkbook says, well, this is what we think is important. We all purchase what we think is most important. And so, so, so if, I, if we go to your checkbook, does that reflect seeking first the kingdom? And say, well, this person's obviously, this is a high value to the kingdom of God. Because look how much money they're investing in advancing it. You see? So he just says money is a test. And what's really interesting to me is that Jesus says God is watching us to see how we, what we do with what he has given us financially. And that based on what we do is how he responds. So Jesus says, I'm watching. So if you're faithful with little, then I will trust you with what? Much. But if you're unfaithful with little worldly wealth, then who will give you true riches? So, so God, like so many times in Scripture, says, hey, uh, I'm watching you to see, I, I will dictate my response based on your response. Right? I mean, I'm going to see if you'll be faithful, if you'll trust me uh, in this, and I'll, I'll bless and so on. If not, I'll, I'll hold back the true riches. And so what we see here, within 24 to 48 hours of Jesus' arrest, and he is taking time out to say, did you guys see that? That was amazing. Did you see that what that woman just did? Like, he's excited. He's excited. Like, guys, guys, come here. You get, did you see that? Crazy. She gave more than everyone else. They're like, huh? Well, which leads us to number two. All right. So number two is that God measures generosity differently. And this is really profound. Um, you say differently than whom? Well, usually us. Um, that day, they're all kicking back and watching this, people drop the large offerings in, I'm sure that the, the disciples are very impressed. Like I said, I'm sure there's some gifts that are going in that are more than a year's salary for them. Right? They're very impressed. And then this woman comes along and she just drops a few bucks in the offering plate and Jesus is going crazy and she's given more. I think if we were there, we along with them would have been shocked by that. But what he's teaching them is a very important principle, and you may want to jot this down, is that when it comes to generosity, God measures our, give, our generosity not by how much we give, but by how much it costs us to give. And it's very profound. God measures our giving not by how much we give, the amount, but by how much it costs us to give, sacrifice. See, and so, so what Jesus is really saying is that when it comes to generosity, um, it's proportionate. Like the, like the more you have, well, the easier it is to give. The less you have, the harder it is to give. And so God kind of takes that into account. Now, a great example of this whole principle you see throughout the Bible of proportionate giving is in the Old Testament in the concept of the tithe. Now, some of you are very familiar with this. Some of you are brand new Christians or just checking out Jesus. And, you know, this is the first time you heard that word. The tithe is a Hebrew word that actually literally means 10%. 
What tithe means is one-tenth. We often use it in different ways, but, but that's what it means. So in the Old Testament, um, one of the ways that God wanted to weave generosity into the life of his people was through the tithe. There were other ways, too, that, that he uh, asked them, required them to give certain sacrifices that we forget are very expensive. Uh, think what a side of beef costs, costs today, you know. Um, uh, that he would ask them to give to the poor. He would ask them to give to, to building projects and so a variety. But, but God kind of wove generosity into the fabric of their, their culture. To be an Israelite, to be a follower of, of the true God, financial generosity towards his kingdom and supporting the ministry and creating a leadership culture, a spiritual leadership culture in the nation. It's extremely important. And so, um, and, but, 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 when you, but you see this, uh, this principle of proportional giving in the tithe, don't you? Like, so for example, um, let's say that someone makes $30,000 a year. What would a tithe of that be? Let's just do some math. 3,000, right? Okay, so um, let's say that someone makes $3 million. How much would a tithe of that be? 300,000. Now here's what I'm saying. The way we tend to look at it, if someone gives $300,000, we are extremely impressed. Like that is unbelievable. $300,000. Someone gives 3,000, we go, well, okay, you know, it's significant, right? But here's what I want you to think. Who is actually given more? See, if you, if you make 30000 and you give three, how much do you have to live on? 20 cent, well, after taxes, like five, but, uh, but yeah, it's, okay, but just, just pretend, pretend. Yeah, you have $27,000, which is no easy thing to live. In our culture, you $27,000, right? If you made $3 million and you tithe and give 300000 how much do you have left to live on? 2.7 million, which I think probably most of us could do okay, right? <laughs> so do you see, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying like, you all look at it like this, the person who gave 300,000, they've done something amazing. He said, but the person who gave three actually probably cost them more to give three than the other person, you see what I'm saying? And so, so this kind of principle is woven throughout Scripture that God measures our giving, not by how much we give, but how much it costs us to give. And so, uh, so, so you think of that in terms of, uh, this, this is important for us to understand, wherever we're at on the socioeconomic scale. I remember when we were in, a, in the assignment building project, that there were some of you that were out of work at the time, or you just... You wanted so much to be able to give, and you'd come up. I had people come up and say, Mike, I'm just so excited about this church. I'm so excited what God's doing. I want to give more, but I've been out of work for six months. I just, I can't make a bunch of, you know, an offer, and they'd feel bad about it. And I would always tell them, hey, don't feel bad. God measures differently. He measures differently. You, you give what you can, and you give generously for what you can, and, and God will bless you for that. But it works the opposite way too, right? Like I heard this story one time that a pastor shared. It was a, it was a true story from what I understand. But he shared that, um, that you know, so, so I, okay, so, so on, the, the, on, the, on, the, on the tough side, when we're going through hard times or we're not making that much money, we're just starting off in our careers, 
You often might say, well, I'm, I'm tithing, but it's, like, it's not really that much money. And you feel bad. And I think there's a tremendous encouragement to say, hey, but God measures differently. Don't look at it like that. But there's a great reminder on the flip side that as God blesses us, to whom much is given, much is required. And this is funny how we think, like this pastor was sharing this story with us, that, that he had a very candid conversation with a man in his congregation that has just making a lot of money. It was several million dollars a year. And he, he, had a, he knew the pastor well, they're friends, and he just said, hey, just want to let you know that I'm no longer tithing. And he said, well, why is that? And he said, well, when I was young, he said, I wasn't making much money, so it really wasn't that much to give. He said, but now I'm making millions a year. Do you know how much a tithe that would be? That'd be like $500,000. And the pastor just very gently said, well, wait a second. So when you were making nothing, you were faithful and trusted God to provide. And now that God has blessed you and provided so much, you want to take it back. So it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Like like sometimes we say, hey, well, you know, I don't make that much. So, you know, I feel bad. But other times we can, when God blesses us, we start pulling back because the money seems like 300000 sounds like so much. Well, it's not when you have 2.7 left. Right? After the government, maybe a million. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. So, uh, it, it's just a great reminder. Wherever we are on that socioeconomic scale, that generosity is a high priority and God measures differently, right? Now, the third, the third uh, principle is that God honors steps of faith. You know, sometimes we don't realize this, but, but giving is a uh, tremendous step of faith. Um, I, I think we all deal with this. I think one of the fears of the human race is we will not have enough. We, we all do. Like, well, if I give, what if I run out? And it might be short term. Like if I give today, I might not have enough for three weeks from now or whatever. But, but then often it's like, yeah, but what about retirement? And what about college someday? And what about this? And, and we, this other thing, what are kids' braces? And, and so often it's long term. And here's what I want you to catch, that giving by nature is several things. That giving, first of all, it's an act of thanksgiving. That when we give to God, we're thanking him. We're acknowledging all I have came from you. It's a gift I want to give back. I want to thank you. Um, It's also giving is an investment in the things that matters most in life. That Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. Right? Like when we invest in God's kingdom, we're investing in things that will change eternity, for eternity. So it's an investment in the things that matter most. Giving is also an act of obedience. We give because he's told us to give. But here's what I want you to catch, is giving by its very nature is always a step of faith. And so it's a step of faith saying that, God, I, I trust that you know my needs, I trust that you will provide for me, and I trust that if I give as you lead me to give, you will meet all my needs. So by nature, it's it's a step of faith. And so 
this shouldn't surprise us that, that as Christ followers, we're to live our lives by faith, right? We, we live by faith all the time. That, um, that it, without faith, in Hebrews 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we live our lives by faith. And one of the most important areas is in this area of finances because it's so, so tangible and so real. And let me and catch this. This is one of the areas, uh, as much as any other, that when you trust God and you step out, you get to see him work in real time in your life because it's so tangible, right? And it's so important. Um, so I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus was so taken with this single, woman, with this single widow. Because I don't know if you caught this, but in fact, let's look at it again. But in chapter 12, in verse uh, 44, it says, they gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in, what's the next word? Everything. And then he says, all she had to live on. Now I want you to put, this, put yourself in her place. She's a widow. We don't know her whole background story. We do know she's poor. We do know that ancient culture, there is no welfare system. There's no social security. That, that widows and orphans were very vulnerable. So we know that about her. And, and I think that one of the reasons Jesus came out of his seat was because this was a tremendous step of faith. That, you know, she had two coins. She could have at least kept on one of them. But so she put in everything she had. Apparently, it's what God was putting in her heart. She takes a step of faith. And what you find throughout the Bible is that the Bible says over and over that our giving is an act of faith at the core. And here's what it says, that when we trust him in this area, that God will honor us. He will honor those steps of faith. Uh, one of the most famous passages on giving, it's funny, I was looking this, this uh, as I was preparing this message, I think it's probably the most famous passage on giving in all the Bible. I think I've talked about it once or twice in nine years. But it's the one that's there on your note sheet, and it's this passage from Malachi. And the reason I'm bringing up is because of this principle of how God honors these steps of faith when we, we give as he leads. Um, in Malachi, it was a time in Israel's life when they were not walking with God. They're far from God. And they were disobeying him in many different areas. One of those areas was in their finances. Okay? And when you get to chapter 3, here's what God says to the nation. He says, ever since the time of your forefathers, you know, the start of the nation, you've turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. You're not, you've not obeyed. You've not been obedient. So catch this. Return to me and I will what? Return you. There's that principle of reciprocity. Hey, you know, hey, if you're faithful and little, I'll reward you with much, right? It's that God watches. He says, return to me, I'll return to you. And so they, he says, but you ask, how should we return? Like, what does it look like? God, what do you want from us? Like, what does it look like to pursue you again? And he's going to give them an example. He's, and he asks them a question. He says, will a man rob God? Now, I want you to think about this. You have to be an idiot <laughs> to rob God, right? Like if you're going to rob someone, you try to rob an idiot, right? You try, you try to rob someone, like I've put a lot of thought into this, that like, 
if you're going to rob someone, you rob someone who isn't big enough or smart enough or strong enough to stop you, right? You rob someone who won't know you robbed them. Or you rob someone who they'll know it, but they're not strong enough to do anything. But you have to be an idiot to rob God. Like he knows. And he's big enough to deal with it. And so he asks this like rhetorical question. Will a man rob God? And they're like, "Ah, gotta be an idiot. And he's like, yet you rob me. And they're like, ooh, wait a second. Um, You ask, how do we rob you? And he says, well, in the tithes and offerings. What's he mean? Well, he means that he told you, I'm going to bring in the land and I'll bless you. And if you trust me and, and you give generously and you, you do, and you give your tithe and you do your offerings and you give the poor, like I will bless you financially as a nation. I told you that. I also told you back in Deuteronomy, if you don't, your nation will be under a curse. And so he says, yeah, you're, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. He says, so bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. He's done to the 2%, the 4%, 6%. Bring the whole thing in. And he said, there'll be food in my house. In other words, for uh, the temple and for the priesthood and the Levites and for the ministry of the nation to have a strong spiritual leadership. He's bringing the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then catch this. What's he say next? Test me in this. Remember how Jesus said that? Our finances are a test. He's testing us. Well, he says, well, test me. See if I will not honor you for this. See if I will not make good of my promises to you. He's testing me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't have room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your, your crops, your tires from blowing out in the freeway, and the... <laughs> The water pipes from breaking in your home, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, and all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And so what you see is, is that God honors steps of faith. And, I, and, and, and so here's what I want. Like when we respond to God and give as he leads us, especially during hard times, I think Jesus is calling a meeting in heaven. Guys, see that? See that? Like he's come, it, it impresses him. It's what he wants to see in our lives. Now, that all leads to one important question. And there in your notes, it's a section on the back called Generosity 101, one critical question. And, and I want to ask you a question. This is just between you and the Lord to process together. Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe the answer is I don't know. But the question is, are you following Jesus with your finances? You know, how you make it, how you spend it, how you give it, how you invest it, save it. Are you following Jesus in your finances? Like, have you come to a place in your life where you've gone through this basic transition that we all have to go through if we're going to follow Jesus, of moving from owner to manager? Have you gone through that transition? Has there been a time in your life where you have surrendered your finances to Jesus and said, Lord, all I have belongs to you? I see that now. I was living in La La Land. I thought they they belonged to me. Now I see that that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it. I recognize that it doesn't really belong to me. I belong to you. Therefore, everything 
I have belongs to you. And have you, gone, have you had that conversation with Jesus? Like we have to have this conversation. We can't avoid this conversation. Jesus today has made it very clear. You cannot serve God in money. It's just impossible. And as long as we try, we're just trying to fool ourselves. I mean, when I, I truly believe this. This is one of those areas we can't figure out sometimes why our spiritual life isn't working. Sometimes we can't understand why we're not having true riches. We don't understand why God's not answering prayer or whatever. I, I think this is one of those areas that often comes to bear, that, that we're not really following Jesus in a very important area that he talked about a lot. And for some reason, it seems to be an area that we're able to deceive ourselves a lot. I'm not sure why, but like it's possible to come to a teaching like this today, to read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, and then to go out and do exactly the opposite, and somehow feel like we're walking with Jesus. And I'm not sure why that is. I mean, I think that's true in lots of areas, but with finances, it's so tangible, right? It's like, here's the checkbook. Like, you know, like it's, I mean, it's, it's like there's no real question here. You know, so it's, it's just that, it's one of those areas that's easy to deceive ourselves. And you say, well, why is this area so important? I'll tell you why. One of the greatest competitors for the human heart, one of the greatest false gods of the human race is money. Money makes the world go round. It drives societies, it drives cultures. I mean, you look at it today. It's like, why are the TV shows on TV? Why is that? Can I tell you why? Because they're ratings. What are ratings about? Ratings are about advertiser dollars. The reason what's on TV today is because of money. And we could go on and on. We could just go through air after air. Money makes the world go round. It's one of the greatest competitors for our affection and our trust. And Jesus knows it. And so Jesus says, hey, let's just cut to the chase. There's certain things if you're going to follow me. We need to get straight. And he says, let me just be perfectly clear. You cannot follow. You cannot serve God in money. You can't. And so let me just lay it out for you as clearly as I can. Just let, me, let me talk about If I can't trust you in this small area of your life, how can I trust you with the things that really matter? And so the question is, who has our heart? You know, why is money so important? Because it's one of the greatest competitors for the human heart. And there in your note sheet, Jesus put it like this in Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so until we come to the place we surrender this area, God will never be our treasure. And we're only fooling ourselves if we think he is. And, and often, so many times, we cannot understand why we're not growing, why we're not changing. 
in this core area. We've said, well, I'll follow you in the other ones, but not this one. And Jesus said, well, faithful in little, faithful in much. Can't trust you with my property. I'm not trusting you with your own. So one of the questions that comes up, you know, whenever I teach on this, or I think whenever we think about this or read books, is, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus in our finances? Um, you know, does that look like, hey, that we kind of do the Old Testament thing and we begin tithing? Is that, is that what we do? Does it mean we kind of go before the Lord and just ask him what we should give and then give appropriately? And I think it's a great question. And this is one of those times, you know, last week I talked to you about when I teach, I often, you don't know I'm doing this, but I'm often put on the dad hat. I, uh, when I'm in counseling with people, when I'm teaching, I, I just try to say, hey, let's take everything away, you know, and, and like what would I tell my daughters? Because this helps me just to get out of pastor mode, right? But like as a pastor, I'm responsible for a lot of things. One of them is leading this church. And churches have money needs and you need money to lead ministry and build buildings and all, it's, it's right, it's all. And so whenever I'm teaching on this, I always like to take off my pastor hat and put on the dad hat and say, what advice would I give to my daughters? Like as as a man who walks with Jesus, who loves Jesus, who wants more than anything else to see my daughters and my son-in-laws, my kids thrive and love Jesus, what would I tell them, not as a pastor, as a father? And here's what I would say. I would say the reality is the longer we follow Jesus and if we're truly submitted in this area, probably for most of this room, we will end up giving far more than Israel ever gave. And this is only common sense because if you stop and think, if God required of Israel to tithe, and this was before Jesus came, This is before Jesus gave his life for us, before we knew the extent of God's love, before we received the gift of the Holy Spirit to transform us and lead us and change us from the inside to be like Jesus, who's the ultimate model of generosity, and before we knew what was at stake in the kingdom of God in eternity. If God would ask of his people to fund his kingdom by a tithe, my hunch is, I would bet on this, that for the vast majority of us, he will, as we follow him, we're going to end up giving more than Israel did. But I think often it's a process, like so many other things in the Christian life. I think for some of us here, for some of you here, if you, as you go before God and say, Jesus, I really want to make you my Lord of my life, and I want to have that conversation, Mike was talking, what do you want me to do? I, I think almost for sure that will be many of you that, that God will say, he'll speak to your heart, he'll just put it in your heart, that you need to start with the tithe. That's where you need to start. I know for Lynn and I, it's exactly, you know, 24, 25 years old, dirt poor. And that's what he said to us when we asked the question. Never been sorry, he's been blessed us for it. I, you, you cannot take that away from me. You can't take away my Bible, you can't take away my giving. It's not going to happen. He says, I've just seen him blessed too much. Like, I, I'm not going to mess with that. This is too important. I think for many of you, that's what he'll say. It'll be a step of faith. It'll be huge. It'll be hard. It'll be scary. And as you do it, he's going to bless you. And it's going to be amazing. And your relationship with him is going to be transformed because you're really, he's got your heart now. And, and you're growing and changing. And it's, 
He's going to bless you financially. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. He's going to expand your faith. For others of you, though, my guess would be, I pretty much bet on this, that he won't say that. For others of you, he may give you a different number. He'll put it in your heart. This is what you need to start with. It's X amount a week or it's this much a month. Uh, or to be a percentage, it won't be 10, it might be some, some, some more. Some of you might be more than that, it might be more than 10, it might start off the bat, been blessed, but it, for, it might be two, it might be four, it might be, I don't know what it is. But here's what I want you to catch with my dad hat on. My concern for you is not how much that number is. My concern for you is that you have that conversation and you do whatever he tells you. If you do that, I'll be thrilled. Because he's got your heart. And I know if he's got your heart, he can lead you from that point on. He'll grow you, expand you, bless you, all that. But if he doesn't have your heart, then you don't have squat. Because you're fooling yourself. You think you're a Jesus follower, you're not. You're a money follower. You go to church, maybe going for 20 years, 30 years, and you've never surrendered this area and you can't figure out why life isn't working for you. And it's not because of the money, it's because of the heart. You're worshiping another God. And that just cuts the connection between you and Jesus. And so as a church, one of the things I pray for is a culture of generosity, that we would just grow in our trust of Jesus, and he would bless us as a result. And he would use us to change the world. We do that as we follow him. Let's pray. Lord, one thing I love about you is you never beat around the bush. You are just so, so straightforward. You cannot love God and money. You cannot serve it. Don't even try. Don't even think. Don't think you'll be the first. It does not work. So it's a lot or a little you've given us to you, Lord. We've learned today that what it, to be faithful in little is to be faithful in much. We want to start with that little. We want to start being obedient. I just pray our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask you as a follower of Jesus, you claim to be a follower, have you surrendered this area? And if not, I'd plead with you to do that because it's going to unleash true riches in your life you cannot even begin to fathom. Because this is exactly what he said. It's a test. And if you'll listen and obey, he'll bless you because he's got your heart. And it may or not be in the financial realm. I don't know. Usually it is, but I don't know for sure. But here's what I know. You'll never be sorry. Because you'll look back on this day as a day was a transition in your life with him. And so I'm just going to ask you, in the quietness of this moment, will you surrender to him? Will you stop playing games, putting off, making excuses? Hey, someday I'll give when I have more. No, you won't. Because he who's faithful in little is faithful in much. If you're not faithful now, you won't be faithful then. So quit fooling yourself. Go before your Lord, the one who loves you, died for you, is passionate about you. And ask him what he wants you to do, and then do it. Lord, today we want to surrender all. And we recognize it starts with our finances. We want to lay it down. 
and lay down our lives. Lord, we pray for a mighty move of your kingdom that as we surrender our hearts, you will fill them with your spirit, a new passion for you, a passion for what's right and true and good. You'd use us to extend your kingdom and you'd trust us with true riches. As we bring you our offerings today, we pray, Lord, they come out of a heart that's a generous heart, excited to give to your kingdom for your purpose and your glory and your name. We pray you use these gifts to expand your kingdom and bring many to your king. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Hey, it's been great being with you tonight. Um, after the service, we always have a ministry called our Prayer Corner, Prayer Connection, right down here to my right. If anything you need to pray about, you see, uh, need some prayer on anything. It could be uh, maybe some physical healing. Maybe it's uh, something God spoke to you in the message. Maybe it's an issue in your life. Uh, just something that you, you just need, want to get some prayer. Come on down right up there uh, to my right. They'll pray with you. Next week, um, we start kind of three weeks that um, deals a lot with the second coming of Jesus. Very controversial uh, uh, you know, topic. And you know me, I shy away from controversy. So uh, I'm sure some of you like it, some of you won't, but whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, what we're going to be talking about next week is, is not only, you know, what Jesus says about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is really one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture, and often we just skip over that. Uh, next week, he says this temple that you trust in is going to be torn down, stone from stone, and it happened uh, 40 years after his execution. It was, a, it was the start of a new era in human history, spiritually, and the temple was part of that. It was going to be destroyed, and, uh, and, and then he begins to share some other things that... Um, that many scholars feel believe refer to the end of the age. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be um, talking about kind of issues uh, involving the second coming. Uh, we're going to be talking as, about as much, uh, not just about uh, what Jesus says about it, but also how we as Christ followers should think about it. Because it's one of the areas where Christians tend to fight a lot, uh, which is just really lame. And uh, so, so we want to look, talk about how do we deal with issues that are controversial issues in the body of Christ in a way that has integrity, where we can really agree to disagree sometimes when there's smart, wise people on both sides of the aisle of an important biblical issue. And so I hope you can be with us uh, next week. We'll, we'll kick that off first of three weeks. Uh, it should be a great time together as we talk about the future as Jesus, really the day or two before he dies, begins to prepare his men for the coming of a whole new era in human history, um, where uh, those who worship God will not worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain, for God is a spirit, and uh, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there comes a time when you won't be worshiping here or anywhere else, uh, a special place, because God's coming to you. You're going to be the temple. And, uh, and so we're, we're excited about that. I'm excited about teaching on that. And so I hope you can join us. Until then, uh, may Jesus be your Lord. And may that be expressed in the rough and tumble of everyday life. May, may they not, that may not be um, words on your lips, may be lived out in your life. And there is no more important area that might be lived out in your life than our finances. If we're not following him there, we're not following him. It's as clear as that. It's not what I said, it's what he said. He said, no one can serve God and money. So may you be a person who loves Jesus more than money. And by the very fact of that, may you stand out as a bright light in a culture that bows down and worships at the throne of money. Amen?
Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.